Welcome to Tripping Over the Barrel, a series that highlights the unique personalities within the oil and gas industry and the stories they have to share with your hosts and lead storytellers, Tilo and Dr. Funkenstein. Ian. See, I've been thinking about that all week because I went to high school with one dude named Ian. And every time he walked into a room, it was Ian. So I've probably done that to you before, Ian, over drinks. You're like, what the hell's wrong with this guy? But there's your introduction. How about I really that? appreciate it. Really appreciate it. And, <laughs> and guys, thanks for having me on this podcast. Um, you know, you've had a lot of charismatic people in the past on the podcast, so really good to diversify and get me in here. So appreciate it. <laughs> we we just it. want to get that Calgary accent in here. There you go. I'll do my best. This is, is this our first true Calgarian? I mean, he's been a Houstonian, I guess, for over a decade, but this is a true born and raised Calgary dude. First one, Tim? I think so. I mean, it's, it's one of our favorite places to go. I'm surprised we haven't had a Calgarian on. Yeah, it's nice to be part of it. So uh, I'll, I'll do my best with the accents and uh, bring it all in for you guys. Well, play it up, eh? So, Ian, I, I'm curious, right? I, I know your story a little bit, at least how you got from uh, Calgary to Houston. But tell us a little bit about the path sort of before I met you in 2009. Um, growing up in Calgary, how did you break into the oil and gas industry and then take us through how you eventually got to Houston? Well, you know, Jeremy, the one thing I did is I, you know, I, I reflected on that. What what got me into it? What got me inspired, enthusiastic about it? And I'll kind of go back to one of your earlier podcasts when uh, you talked about conferences, when you went to that first conference and it was like, I'm hooked, I'm into oil and gas. So what was my hook? And so this is kind of a, you know, this is my um, Jeremy enthusiastic story of what what got me hooked in. And it was right out of college. I I joined a company. um, That's that's what you did in Calgary. There's only oil and gas companies and you joined them. Um, got hired and, and I was in the oil and gas industry right away. And wow, there I was, you know, on the 14th floor, I'm in a cubicle, uh, you know, those plus sign cubicles, three other older ladies on the other side were all coding royalty. I'm the only one that didn't smoke and it's just (laughs) smokes pillowing out. And this is me coding royalty. And my supervisor brings me into an office and closes the door and he's smoking and you know, I moved around into different departments, including the JV department. And that was like sitting there coding joint venture billing. And, and this is karma. You didn't know it at the time where, where this was going to come full circle on you. And, you know, my supervisor, this other lady puts this foot high stack of joint interest billings from a year of backlog of things to have to be coded. Oh, and I, I, you know, I'm, I'm in my twenties. I'm going, I'm not touching that. <laughs> I, I even marked it on the desk with a pen to make sure I never moved that desk, that, that stack of paper. It was just something I didn't want to do. So this isn't the enthusiastic part about it. It's actually the part that really turned me off on oil and gas. Just all of that whole component that I worked with um, at Pan Canadian, which is in Canada now inventive, if, if we can go sure. along the lines with it. Um, but what really happened was, you know, and I'm trying to, go back to, you know, how you were enthusiastic about it. And it wasn't until I joined Price Waterhouse. Um, you know, I didn't want to leave Pan Canadian, run from it and, you know, I don't know, go to New York and sit in a coffee shop. But my college <laughs> was better for me. They said, you know, you're prepared for more, you can do more. So I went uh, joined Price Waterhouse, uh, now Price Waterhouse Coopers. 
that's where I got into systems, accounting systems, implementations. This is where you saw everything from the beginning to the end um, that, that gave you all aspects of oil and gas companies. It opened it up. Accounting and technology, what I was able to do. And um, that's, when, that's when the enthusiastic part of the oil and gas industry came in for me to want to be involved and be engaged. Um, but I'll, nice. I'll do a little bit of throwback, Jeremy, to the conference and your enthusiasm. I think the first time that's when I did meet you and you did talk to, you referenced that in Corey's uh, podcast with you. I saw a guy with, that came there, you look sharp, you look bright, and you had these bright lime green shoes on, runners, sneakers, whatever you want to call them. <laughs> and I said, Corey, I'm the, I'm the guy behind the scenes. I said, Corey, you're going to go over and meet that guy. There's something different going on over there. So I don't know if you remember that, Jeremy, or not. But Man, good memory. Wearing those shoes? So yeah, listen, they, man, I, it, this was the point that the Celtics were in their, well, the Celtics, uh, obviously a great dynasty, but 2008 to 2010, they had a mini dynasty. This is 2009. We're in Dallas. Celtics had a playoff game. So I'm in a suit all day and, you know, I had to wear my lime green shoes to go, you know, all green, baby. Let's go Celtics. I bleed green. <laughs> yeah. I remember Ian commenting on it. And yeah, for a number of years, for every big Celtics playoff game, I used to wear those shoes. Yeah, you owned your stuff. You owned, you owned your space, and and I thought that uh, that brought a, a good color into the uh, to the traditional NAPAC conference. So it's good stuff. But so, you, thought, you thought Jeremy looked sharp? That's a little bit odd. Yeah, right. Um, I just said it's someone we had to meet and get to know, right? Yeah. So. Now it was fun. And, you know, Corey and I bonded there too because I was like, I don't know, 28, 29, and he was like 13. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was like 22, 23. I mean, both of us were, were, you know, young bucks, so gravitated toward each other. But it was also weird too because I'm like, all right, so, you know, Corey, we're going to go out and get drinks. He's like, well, Ian's coming. I'm like, oh, you like your boss? That's that's a new thing. Yeah, right. We're supposed to hate our boss. I didn't know, but yeah, I think we went to BJ's or something. We uh, Wild Wings went out and had some drinks, and it's like, man, you guys, you guys had a good culture going from the start. So that was '09. When did you move from Calgary down to Houston to manage the team? Yeah, that was. Uh, I moved down in '07, but um, kind of the the hit up before that was um, where we got in into the energy link world and how that all happened right from uh price waterhouse that was the turn of the century i'm going to step back to that for a little bit and you know i say it's at the turn of the century it makes it sound like i went to a, a work in a horse and carriage but <laughs> yeah, yeah um you know it was the internet and the dot-com era um we were tasked with doing something with the internet b2b everything was b2c at the time we were doing b2b and uh, I put together a little bit of a quorum of clients to explore and design a, a JIB data exchange. And we were very public about it. Um, Dennis uh, Howden, as you guys know, the Howden brothers, um, they were working on something very covertly and, and they reached out to me and I ended up joining that initiative where Dennis had a great vision and it's signed already in progress. So we combined, hey, our, you know, I brought to the table um, the quorum of clients that I had, they had a development going with, um, and the developer, Bruce Holman, Dave Howden selling, and that's where we just drove it all to market. And, and it just made sense. Everybody had something to the table. Um, and it wasn't, um, it wasn't until about seven years later that, 
you know, Dave really worked hard at getting, Dave Howden worked really hard at making some man roads in the U.S. You don't just decide and start a company in Canada and say, hey, we're going to the U.S., let's go no. and, and knock it out. Yeah. Um, it, it just doesn't happen that way. It is a different culture, different approach. Um, so, you know, Dave, Dave, Dave worked it and worked it really well and well-respected on how he broke into the U.S. market with Chevron and Petra Hunt. Um, then there was a period of time, I think in 07, made a bit of the money in, in our company and said, you know what, I'm going to move down to the U.S. and let's start the office from there. Um, you know, you had to work in their backyard, meaning, you know, where, you know, the previous, um, that's what I liked about your other podcast with Barry and with Al talking about the backyard they worked in. That's where they grew up. And we're just coming in to be visitors in that, in, in that area. And, and we had to explore that and redefine ourselves or define ourselves in their backyard. If anything, we were visitors back in 07. So it, it was, um, it was a, a fun time. I always looked at that. I knew it was the journey that we had to do. Um, but when you come down here, I had a great support from the Canadian office, from Dave, the developers and everybody. But at the end of the day, you're down here working by yourself. And if I can expand on that a little bit, the cool part was when you are by yourself, you have no one else to rely on in where you were. And I was in Houston. I had uh, one of the items I remember on is I had a meeting way down south at Petroact. And I think, you know, Jeremy, that's yep. a throwback to Jen and, and uh, Jim. I know those guys. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Opportune now, right? Yeah, that's right. And, and I had a, I had a meeting way down South and, and I was late for it. There's no way I was going to make from North to South. So, uh, you know, I go to my wife and I said, you need to hop in the car. We're going in the HOV. Um, I got to make it. Through the <laughs> so, for those on a, uh, who don't know the HOV high occupancy vehicle, you drive two people, you get in the lane and just, that's just funny. go crazy. That's right. So, you know, you got to go with the resources that you have and you hop down and, and you make your meeting in time. So, you know, uh, there was great patience on my wife's part to do that. But these are the things nice. you need to do to accomplish what you're trying to do. Um, and you you guys did talk about, you know, hiring Corey. Um, Corey came on board, but some of the parts you don't know. Sure, he, he was an OS grad, OSU grad. Sorry. Somebody and, has to be. Yeah. It, and I'm from Canada. I, I don't know the pedigrees of the colleges and all the impacts and from that basis. And I was working with a client. It was Pioneer out of Midland, actually, if I can throw some names out there. Absolutely. And there's there a, a lady there who was a decision maker my age. I'm struggling with it. I, I'm struggling getting there, getting the, the work going with them. Um, I bring Corey to her office. And Corey's 20 years younger than all of us. But there she is. She has a picture of the OSU campus behind her desk. Perfect. And she goes, oh, wow, um, you're OSU, you know, you're a cowboy. And, and all of a sudden, bang, there was a relationship built with Corey and her. And, and we got the contract going and everything. And I'm going, okay, there's something here about these colleges and, and what you can That's do right. with this. Even if, you, even if he had gone to Oklahoma, the rival, they still would have been able to bond over but a different way, you know, just like, Oh yeah. Making fun of them. Like, like I did. Totally. Tim, I think you can, you can relate to that story too. I mean, your path a little bit similar to Ian's as far as you're not from Calgary, you're a Houston guy, but you, 
took a Calgary company into Houston. Talk a little bit about that synergy and what it was like for you being on an island. Well, actually, you know, when he started telling that story, that's why I, I uh, raised my hand to go into that. But I, I want to, one thing that I found very interesting, and I knew this early in my career too, but the U.S. Canada border is littered with technology companies that have crashed into it and not been able to go across the border. And it seems so simple. I mean, it's oil and gas tech. You should be able to, we've got a great tool. Let's go take it up to Calgary or let's take it down to Houston. It should just translate. We've got a great tool. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the cultural parts are so much harder to, to do, you know, than you, than you would think Uh, there's ingrained products already. And there's the, you're not in my backyard. How do you know what we do? And of course, there are some differences. I mean, you don't have 30 part, thirty working interest partners on a well in Canada. You've got five. Right. And in the US, you've got 30. And some of them have, you know, such a small fraction. It's kind of silly to even send them a piece of paper. But there you go. So anyway, right. I, I do want to ask you about that. You, you mentioned it. And I want to, to bring it to that is, you know, Ian, how... What are the challenges you had to overcome once you got here? I understand the decision to come down here. We need to yep. to be in there and be amongst the group. But, you know, I did the same thing with Energy Navigator, bringing the, you know, trying to open the, their product down here. And we really struggled for a long time with one of our products, but not the other. Yeah. And it still is a struggle, quite honestly. So anyway, I want to understand what your, um, you know, what did you have to overcome to really bring your technology down? Yeah, I appreciate that. And, you know, uh, I worked in the industry in Calgary for many years working with all the clients and you knew everybody and everything. You come down here, you don't know anybody and you've got to establish yourself. And, and you know, Corey was the first lead out to establishing that, um, you know, getting to know everybody. And, and you quickly realize, um, you know, he was from OSU. Uh, the college thing kind of hit on me like, hey, we need more resources here and started hiring. So, you know, you start rationalizing to yourself that, hey, you know, first of all, you need an Aggie, right? Everybody needs an Aggie. Jeremy, you can relate yeah, on anything. True. You need an Aggie, right? So, Jeremy's got, that's why Jeremy has me on this podcast. <laughs> that's, that's right. You, know, you always need an Aggie when you come down here. So I quickly realized that. It took me about a year, but I got it. So we did hire one. But, um, you know, and and one of the things, it wasn't so much as the challenges, it was just the time it took to build relationships. And that's really what you had to do. You, you had to spend the time building relationships. And, you know, as much as our company was, you know, kind of a family and we all knew each other, so were our clients. And and that's a key thing. And we'll, we'll get to that a little later in, in the topics here. But um, that reminds me of one of the, the times I went to a client downtown Houston um, where I'm, I, I brought Corey and Corey sitting in the meeting and, um, it's a big boardroom and they bring everybody in and you're trying to sell them on some of the initiatives that you're doing. And I, I'm in there and I'm, I'm doing pretty good in, in presenting when you're a subject matter expert, you can do that. I'm not a sales guy, but you can talk what you know about. And all of a sudden I'm sitting there and I feel this hand on my shoulder and I turn over and there's this guy in about his seventies saying, Hey, I just, I, I heard there's a red dog in here, red dog. <laughs> in here. And I go, yeah, it's our, it's our company. He goes, well, you know, red dog. And he's wearing, um, Aggies. I looked at it as like pajamas, but they were like these Aggies <laughs> outfit. You know, of course he has his ring on 
And I'm going, and he starts, I didn't really realize that at the time. And he starts talking about Red Dog. And he says, you know, when we played football in the 50s, Red Dog was one of our call plays. And he went through this nice. whole call play thing. Took, took 10 minutes to explain this call play. And everybody's hanging on to this guy's words. And he's in his 70s. And at the end of it, he goes, the bloody play never worked. <laughs> we never could get this play working, but it was, it, nice. was, it was a red dog play. And then he leaves, thanks guys, and leaves. I turned to everybody and they're looking at me and he's like, this guy just killed my pitch. You know, <laughs> red dog. And I go, I played hockey, not football. So let's continue on with what we're trying to present to you guys. You know, and, and then I asked, I go afterwards, sorry guys, I asked, who was that guy? And they go, he was one of the founders of our company. He just comes in and wanders around and, and, you know, comes into meetings. I said, when I grow up, that's what I want to be, right? The guy that comes in and does that, that, that was a pretty cool experience. That's funny. Yeah. So it, it, it was just, it, it told me about the clients because you really had to build those relationships and, and their people too. Um, and, and that's what a lot of our foundation was because as we know, you know, B2B isn't an easy marketing. You don't go to a, a TV radio station and start doing your, your typical marketing. You have to be pretty innovative of how you reach out to your client base to grow. And that, I think Tim's cycling back to that, that was our, one of our challenges. How do you market what you're doing? How do you get the word out what you're doing when you're the new guy in the block? Yeah, um, one of the things I found, uh, and again, going back to the difference between, well, let's say Houston and Calgary, but you find pockets in different cities. But I found that to go build a relationship, if you're in Calgary, you know, you can build more relationships faster. And generally speaking, your audience are happy to talk to sales guys and and all those things. They're a little bit more, and you can have, and everybody's in downtown. So you can go to seven meetings in a day, you know, without ever getting in your car. Or in Houston, you two meetings, you, you're pretty much tapped out. So, I mean, I found that it was easier once you get established in Calgary, word of mouth, it was easier to kind of build up. Whereas in Houston market, it's much harder. When you get to Denver, it's a little bit, e it's again, a word of mouth yeah. town. I think yeah. Oklahoma City is a word of mouth town. Houston, it's a bigger challenge just to be able to sew everything together. I mean, we got what, six downtown areas almost now? Yeah, absolutely. And you got to say what... Um, how do you overcome those challenges? You can't see everybody. E everything you're saying is correct. Um, you know, I, my first few meetings downtown, I'm asking the client, okay, how do I get out of downtown now to get home? Um, so it's pretty complex, but, yeah. um, is that what you, that's where you learned about the HOV, right? Yeah. That's where you learned the HOV. Absolutely. Um, Corey was young and innovative. We did everything from, you know, wine and cheeses in Midland to, you know, providing banana splits in a presentation. I mean, when you provide a banana split in a presentation, it's all about timing. Oh, I'm going to keep that. It. I'm going to use yeah, that. Now we're talking. Now we're yeah. Talking. I, I mean, you're bringing everybody in and you're timing the banana splits to be served so they're not melting and they're sitting on the table. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it was just something to differentiate yourself from the competitors and what you're doing. But it was a lot of fun. Those were Corey's ideas. I, I get to give him props for it because people do talk about it later. So those were the fun facts. Oh, yeah. You yeah. can always say, you're the guy that brought in the banana split. That's right. You'll be remembered forever. You know, That's it. So, yeah, we, we had our challenges and, and it took time and a word of mouth. And, and when you're a small company, no different than uh, our competitors. Um, you just had to be uh, out on the street and, and 
work in it. So that's what we were trying to do at the time. Um, eventually, you know, we we built a, a solid team of seven here in the U.S. And when I say seven, it sounds like, wow, that's, that's not a lot. But when we had a, a product that was, you know, true automation, you didn't need to add a lot of bodies. Um, you just had to bring the right people in on the right team in the right seat to um, define what you needed to do with your clients and automation was always it. So, you know, we built that strong culture and we had those base of our core values to do that. So it was, you know, that's what helped us build and only needed to build to seven of us in the U.S. while we had, you know, another 15 of us up in Canada. So it's pretty yeah. good. Always incredibly lean, always struck me as a, as a well-branded familial organization, people that would come there would stay. But I want to, I want to talk a little bit about the Calgary to Houston thing, because to me, I just think in general, culturally, aesthetically, uh, in, in any possible, possible way you can slice it, Denver and Calgary are really kind of sister cities. I mean, you've got the mountains in the background. You've got sort of an outdoor culture that you've got, right? You've got a downtown area that's, you know, Alex was saying this too. It's very, very similar between 8th Ave and 16th Street Mall. So uh, Boyd and Energy Navigator were bullish on Denver is going to be the first city because we're familiar with how to do business. Like Tim, you you hired Marsha, you hired Dan, you hired me. You're like, I'm going to do this in Houston. Then I'm going to bring on somebody. Sorry, we're going to do Denver. I'm going to bring on somebody in Houston. We're going to figure that whole thing out. I want to, because you're Canadian, I have to do this. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about hockey. How does the third biggest city in this country with all the money that Houston has have no hockey team? I don't get it. Yeah. Right. I mean, um, we're not as far south as uh, Tampa, if you look at it on a map, and yet they have a hockey team and, and Stanley Cup champs on that way. But it, we actually did. We had a, a Minnesota Wilds farm team here for a while. Houston uh, Arrows. Yeah, the Arrows. We went to them all the time and uh, at the Toyota Center. Um, you know, the, the Rockets would play and then they they turn it un, into a, uh, an arena because of the rinks sure. sitting under it. But it was just, a, you know, business and renewing a lease or something that went on with that and and they moved their farm team away if anything that would have been the springboard to get an nhl team here there is enough here and And there's enough transplanted canadians it was a little that going to those games it was a little canadian club the houston arrows was a little canadian club yeah absolutely absolutely i mean i I coached uh i coached the high school uh hockey teams down here for five years as well so uh, we got to know the arrows quite well. Uh, we had games before and after their games, and uh, you know that there was a huge community that we we belonged to on that part. Um, it was great, but what I never understood is why they don't have a team here. Because right. you know you have Dallas and uh, for football you have Dallas and Houston, which could be good rivals if you bring a hockey team in here. You have the Stars and whatever uh, the team down here is. It, great rivalry if you have yeah. that you know it so, should this the city should be able to support it now have you ever heard of the there's a bar downtown houston just south of downtown called the maple leaf yep they have a penalty box you can yeah, sit in it's cool yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah i saw it i pulled in I, I gotta go check this place out you go sit down and you're sitting in a booth it's a penalty box yeah yeah that's right yeah it's a good time yeah i've been there many times it was good um you can get it you can get a molson eh yeah, uh, you can get a Molson A and, and uh, a lot of Eastern team fans there. So when you show up in your Flames jersey, it's uh, it's good banter. It's it's a good way to do it. So. 
<laughs> Before we jump into you rebutting everything that our guy Barry Barksdale from PDS said, mm-hmm. I do I do want to ask a little bit about your approach to hiring because I feel like you guys generally hit. Were you were you looking first and foremost for cultural fits? I mean, how, how did it work out so well that you've been able to keep um, the Mills and the Corys and um, you know all of the guys that you've had now for a number of years? You get them to stay but you find people who embrace the culture. How are you able to do that? Because I think there's some real lessons people can take out of that. Yeah, definitely. I appreciate that. And some of it's just good luck and and finding the right person. Um, Trial and error from uh, past lives in Calgary when we hired people. Um, You pull somebody out of an oil and gas company and they think the right fit for you and then they come in and they didn't want to move from that employee structure that they were involved in with an oil and gas and come over into your environment and they weren't a good fit. So you start picking up on, you know, who is willing to be that entrepreneurial spirit, that one that is willing to um, explore and um, take risk and um, really have a lot of enthusiasm in what they're doing. And you can kind of identify that when you meet people right away um, you don't want to convince them. If you have to convince them, are they really, um, you know, made for that? It, it's kind of meet me in the middle that you really want to explore mm. coming over to this company that um, is a little bit different. Um, the structure is different. Um, you can be part of something. Um, we are smaller. Are you willing to do that? And I think if a, a person is willing to meet you in the middle, they're probably going to be a good fit for you and stay with your company going forward. Uh, the other part is, you know, the way I look at it, um, you always, you, you want to, everybody tries to capitalize on the strengths of their resources. And you can't just do that um, by being their boss. You got to do that by empowering them. Um, and a lot of times you got to be the dumbest guy in the room. They're, they're, you hired them for a reason. And the reason is they have, um, abilities, um, intellect, and they know, they know things to do. And and you just have to capitalize on that and know how to do that. Um, and I think that's kind of a bit of the culture we've, we fit in down here. So, um, we didn't have a lot of turnover. Uh, there's just one or two, but, um, generally we had some pretty good mainstays. We, we did some great hires here and, uh, a really good, uh, really good group of people that we have with us even today. Nice. So you guys, you know, Red Dog evolved, grew, cross-border success, got a good team coming. Sure. And then Enverse Drilling Info happens. Yeah. So how's, I mean, I know Corey seems to be over the moon with the with the marriage. I wonder for you personally, how's that been for you, the transition? Yeah, I, I don't look at it as things as transitions. Um, you know, through everything I've done and, and you reflect back, and I even knew that in, in my 20s and 30s, everybody's a little bit different, but I always understood and, and realized um, my reality and, and the journey you're in right now and the journey I was in Calgary in all those different stages, the journey when I moved down here. This is just a, another journey. It's just the next journey that I'm doing. So you embrace it, um, you, you go forward with it, um, you be opportunistic with it um, and you have a positive attitude. So this is just, that was one journey. Journeys only last so long and I'm into the next journey now. And so we're, it's great to be part of it, to see the next stage that energy link as a product is going to go. When, when we built energy link, 
um, it's there, it's scalable for a, a, a large audience. And now that it's part of Inveris, um, it can really go to the next level and, and being part of it, being able to influence where that goes, that's part of that journey. So um, you, you got to quickly embrace those things and, and understand what you're, where you are and what you're doing. So one of the reasons, you, you know, an inverse obviously is going to pick up Red Dog is there's a strategic mm-hmm. relationship. They, they want to grow in a certain direction. Mm-hmm. And one of the problems I've seen with getting brought into a large organization, you're you're isolated and maybe the rest of the organization doesn't adopt it and really kind of help you expand it. So you stay kind of a niche little product. It doesn't seem like that's happened with Enverus. It's really been embraced and really become a strategic part of the company. Can you, I mean, just elaborate on that. Am I smoking dope or is it, is, is that right? No, you're right. I mean, Corey, <laughs> Corey talked a little bit about it in the podcast. Um, you know, in, in the sense that they understood the product and the people that we were and the team. Um, so th- they have embraced that and, and want to um, take the product to the next level and they're doubling down on it. Sure. They bought the product, they bought the company, but they're really double downing on the way our culture is and how we want to go as best as you can fitting with Inveris. So you have to remember one thing in the background of Inveris is they were a small company too at one point. They yeah. weren't an Exxon Mobil for the last 20 years. They were small as well. Al, Al built that up from the ground up as well. So they, they still have that as their, their core. And so there's, you can relate to that. They can relate to you, you can relate to them. And there's a lot of those people still around, Al still around in that basis. So that's what helps us in that, if you call a transition and utilizing our product uh, to go further in the industry. Man, we should probably have Matt Wilcoxon on this sometime too, right? I bet he's got a bunch of stories from the early days of DI and failed demos and then what it's like to actually bring in somebody into your culture. But but nonetheless, if he's yeah. listening, Matt, we're coming for you. Um, I did want to talk a little bit about- You know, if we bring him on, we're gonna, Enverse is going to have to start sponsoring this now. Yeah, we need to, who do we talk to? I mean, that's, yeah. We got to make this happen. So I want to talk about PDS because I know Corey always used to tell me there was this guy, Barry. He mm-hmm. didn't even refer to his PDS, just Barry, right? And now I see it because Barry is the all-encompassing guy at PDS. He runs every different facet of that organization. Yeah. So you guys come down here, right? You've got new, you're the new guy on the block. You've got competition. What was it like to coexist and compete with PDS and, and do you still compete with them or is that really not a thing? Kind of give me, give me a, a sense of what it was like with your competition as you broke into the States. Yeah, sure. I, I mean, that was good. I mean, first of all, we came from our market in Canada where a, we had no competitor and we dominated what we did and um, we were responsible to our market and um, you know, kept our pricing where it needed to be. Um, and, and worked hard um, to, to keep that market. Uh, then you come down here and, and you kind of have that attitude that here we are and, and we're going to rock it out and, and that's it. Oh, there's a competitor. We heard about Barry. What, what's just, this? Yeah. yeah, who's this guy? And, you know, I think, you know, initially we probably underestimated him a little bit, um, but we, we soon learned and I personally learned that you need to raise your game when competing against Barry. Um, a lot of props and respect for what he did. Um, but that was us learning and understanding who this guy was and his company and what he did. I think you're right in calling him king of data. 
absolutely. He had the data. Um, he was working it well. Um, we were very similar, but we were very different. Um, competition is healthy. It's good, even at the time, even today. It was fun. You know, you got to look at competition as fun. Uh, he had some good people working for him, as we did. And, um, you know, there, there was... We, the, the one commonality that we both had was, as he talked about and we talked about before, is you build those relationships. For sure. Um, you really do. I mean, Jeremy, you're, you're in sales. Um, you know, when you talk about it, you, you said, I didn't get a contract with ExxonMobil. I got a contract with the relationship I built, built with the person in ExxonMobil. And, and that's a key thing that you do. And that's what Barry did. That's what we did. So when you build those relationships, it's hard to walk into a client that was his or a client that was ours. And so there was yeah. always, you know, that was the strength of who we are. And that's what gave us the respect of who he was. Um, but we also managed our data differently. Um, he provided the data and he was able to, here's our data, here's our low price, here you go. What we did is it wasn't so much as, as simple as that is what we were trying to do is the difference with the data. We wanted to add value for the data we were providing. We were here to change your workflow, change your experience, um, provide further efficiencies, going that next level in that. that. That was us trying to make the difference for the client. And that's what took us a little bit longer. Was our price a little higher? Yes. But for those clients who got that, they got more out of it from that basis. It wasn't for everybody, but that's that was a little bit of what the differences were. And that's where we we had to take our time. Um, we had, you know, we had our price consistency, uh, with his, Barry always had his low price, um, always, always. Uh, always his low price. And, you know, that, that was our difference. And I know you had, had him on his show, your show, and, uh, he was, um, talking from his, uh, house in Nantucket or whatever, but <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just be fair to be fair. I have not raised his rent once on the house he is in in Nantucket, just so you get it. Okay? It's been consistent all the way through. So it, it, it was fun times. It was good times, and that's what you want. When you got the wins, you really celebrated. When, when you didn't, you understood. Um, that, that, was, that was a good time. You know, I kind of viewed it as, man – you know, you guys were competing, but both of you had really good customer service. It's like one of one of you guys should branch into something else, like BI or accounting systems, because there's such poor customer service in those areas. Why do you guys need to split the business, man? You guys could could both do different things. I'll but tell I think you what, though, you two, have, two companies splitting up 50-50, the oil and gas space. This that's not it's bad. Not, it's not bad. It's not a bad time. It's right. not bad. It's not bad at all. Yeah, that works. Uh, Man, Ian, this is this is a blast. I think we got through most of the questions I at least wanted to get. Well, to. I, I do want to hit this because you know we have a couple of prep questions we send out, and we kind of tell people we're going to do this. And yeah, he actually has he actually has a response to this one, so I wanted to hit it. But okay, so we we built our first early shows on you know Jeremy falling out of chairs and me ripping my pants and you know failing in sales presentations. Wanted to really just ask you, you know, you've been down here 13 years and I don't know in Calgary for longer selling uh, red dog, what the fun, you know, those fun little failed presentations. I mean, everybody remembers them. I just want to get your idea of the, you know, what is that one of those funny episodes that you've had uh, 
deliver into a client. Deliver what, the seventy-year-old crapping all over the Red Dog play. Well, that was pretty good for you too. Yeah, I, did, yeah. I, mean, I really that. thought that, I really thought that that was going to be one of my professors when he said it. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, he, I was like, man, fifties played football at A and M. That's got to be Billy Pete Huddleston. Yeah, but but no. Um. Yeah. No. Good. I, I. You know. Um. There are quite a few, and and one of the things that you end up doing, and I work on the words of mentoring. Um, it's easy to identify who mentors you and, and who you look up to and, and, and uh, base a lot of things you do and how you function work in, in business. Um, you never realize how when you become a mentor and, and when you're, you have influence and impact on what you say and mm. what you do. And we, we went into a, a pretty important meeting um, to, to sell and, and to present our product. And, but no matter what of the gravity of the importance of a meeting, if I had someone junior with me, I always wanted them to feel they were part of it. I'd like to put them on stage and put a little pressure on them. And, and we did have someone like that um, for a meeting I had that was pretty important. And I said, you're going to lead out this meeting for the first 10 minutes. You're <laughs> going to do the intros. You're going to do everything. And How much then, warning did you give the guy? Uh, a few minutes in before. And I said, <laughs> one thing I said to him, I said, introduce yourself. So make sure you introduce yourself to everyone. And we went into the meeting and there's 15 people around a table. He went and he said, hi, I'm so-and-so. And he went around individually to each person and shook <laughs> their hands and introduced himself to everybody and walked around the room and introduced himself to everybody. I said, oh my God, he took me literally to introduce himself <laughs> to everybody. And I was like, okay, wow, this is happening. And he, he took five minutes, to, did it very professionally. And everybody was like, okay. So we got the meeting going, but I, I, I took from that, like, if you are mentoring, you know, manage how you present your information to make sure it's, uh, they're well set up. So that was, that was always humorous oh, that's to me. Awesome. Ian, that's I don't know if you, have you ever done a, a sales presentation in Asia or any place like that? Yeah, I have the, the business, the, that business card exchange you have to do with everybody before the, as the meeting's going on and how ritualized it is that when you said that, that was the first thing that came to mind is watching him work, walk the room and hand his cards over, uh, in kind of the Asian style. But yeah, I have, that might be another podcast and, uh, <laughs> a, a different rated type of podcast on my, uh, two years in Indonesia on implementing systems, but um, I don't think it was wow. as formal as that, but th there's some uh, pretty interesting stories from that era. I, I, I remember just, just Jeremy, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but there's a, a way that you hand out cards. If it's Japanese, it's even more pronounced, but I go into a meeting in Indonesia, Ian, and I just like a deck of cards. I just started throwing my business card across sure. the table, yeah. sliding out to everybody, very American. And yeah. And when the guy comes over to give me his card and walks over and with two hands, hands it to me, I went, oh, no, I have messed up something. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, it was, it, you know, it's kind of funny. But anyway, well, maybe we should have another podcast on how to do business in Asia. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, there's, there's uh, different cultures. I mean, just roping it back to, you know, when you move to uh, move from Calgary to Canada to the U.S., um, you know, a lot of the statement was, I didn't move to the U.S. I moved to Texas, and that, and that was a big difference too. Right? <laughs> yeah, I like that um, sound. Yeah, yeah, that's that, that's profound. Well, Ian, apparently you didn't want us to say this, but I'm going to anyway. He's got an awesome Instagram. It's at ir stoneberg. 
IR Stoneberg. And also a final question for you because it's going nonstop on my Twitter feed right now. People are starting to get geeked up in Boston. The Bruins are trying to play this season at Fenway Park. What do you think about that? Yeah, I heard about that. Everything outdoors, right? Um, I mean, that would be wow. Yeah, that would be fun. I I like it. Um, You know, I I was someone who grew up playing outdoors in the rinks. Um, You know, every weekend could be a little different. Every day is different on the weather. So uh, I I love that. I think there was about four or five teams rallying to do that and and play outdoors, right? I I think it's great. Why not? It should be a thing. Advantage of the COVID. Oh man, for me, just thinking about sitting on top of the monster watching a hockey game too. That's that's that'd be great. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I doubt they let us in, but either way, Ian, my man, thank you. Wanted to thank you for coming on. Also, uh, for being such a great leader, mentor, culture builder, uh, and uh, to continued success at uh, Inveris, man. Wish you all the best. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. Uh, appreciate you both, and uh, you guys have a good weekend. Thanks, yeah. Ian. <laughs>